God, thank you so much for today. Thank you so much for just this body of believers who is here this morning, God, and who, even for the body of believers who are not here, uh, that are out, uh, some of them are sick, some of them uh, are awaiting test results, some of them are uh, just out. And so, God, we just, we just pray over our church. We give thanks for our church this morning. God, I just, I just pray this morning that you would just move through your word once again. God, that as I, as I speak this morning, that you would speak through me. Would the words that come out of my mouth be your words for your people on your day, God? We are here to hear from you, and we are excited about it, God. Would you speak through your word this morning? We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, we are, uh, I think, been in the middle of a great series so far uh, through the book of Ephesians. I have really enjoyed the book of Ephesians. Uh, You know, the book of Ephesians, we are about halfway through now. Actually, we are. We're at the halfway point through the book of Ephesians. Uh, You know, we've gone through the first three chapters, which are really the, uh, the... quote-unquote theology chapters that Paul has in there. Uh, This is kind of what we believe, right? And now in the second half, we begin to, to see these ideas fleshed out. What does this look like to actually do the things that Paul is saying that we should do? What does this actually look like lived out in real life? And so just to, just to review, you know, chapter one, because this will come into play today, chapter one, this whole idea that we are the church, Christ is the head of the church, that we are the church. You know, chapter 2, verse 1 through 10 was a beautiful picture of the gospel. And then from there, Paul kind of springboards into this idea that, that we're all one, that through the gospel, it's not just one people that get to come into the kingdom of God. It is all people, the Gentiles, everyone else, we're also included. We are also adopted. We are also a part of the family of God. Uh, if you, have, if you have said yes to Jesus Christ, you have been accepted. You have been adopted. And last week we pray, talked about this prayer that Paul prayed over this church, that they would be strengthened with power through the Holy Spirit. And we talked about some of the, the so that movement there that Paul talks about in some of his prayers. But we, just, we talked about being strengthened, and strengthened with power. That same power, by the way, in chapter 2 that raised Jesus from the dead. That same power would be strengthened with that power so that Christ would dwell in our, dwell in our hearts. That we might grasp the love of God. Remember we prayed over people in our lives who we would want to grasp the love of God. Uh, you know, we, this, this prayer that they might be empowered by the Spirit to grasp the love of God so that he might get the glory. All right, that was last week in a nutshell. That's the last four weeks in a nutshell. Now we get to move on, right? Move on to chapter four. Chapter four is uh, sort of the beginning of this, this practical half of Ephesians, right? Again, so far it's been, hey, we're one. There is no more us and them. Remember in chapter one, the you, when it said you, he was talking to the Gentiles. And when it said we, he was talking about the Israelites, the, the people of God. Now we begin to see some language shift a little bit here. We begin to see you meaning more than just the Gentiles. This is all of us. This is the church now. But remember, he's he's gone from, hey, there's, there's no more us and them. There's just we at this point. This is the gospel. Everyone is included no matter what. So then, this is what that looks like. That's where Paul is going here. This is what that looks like. This is where he begins to go for the rest of the book, starting here in chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles... Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to start at verse 1. And here's how he, what he says. As a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. 
Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and in all, over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined together, joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. That's where we're going to stop this morning. Stop at verse 16. This passage here, I think, is an important passage for us. But before we really get into the the thick of this passage, I want to notice just a few things with you. Paul has just spent the last three chapters. He didn't put chapters in this letter. He spent the first half of this letter talking to and about the church. Right? Talking to and about a specific group of people, the church. That doesn't just stop because he stops being theological and starts being practical. In fact, I think it rolls over. He starts off by saying this, as a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you, who is this you that he is talking about? Again, no longer is the you just the Gentiles. He's not just urging Gentiles to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. This is to the church now. This is everybody. Remember, we are the body of Christ. This is how he has really ended Chapter 3 and into chapter 2, right? He's really been talking about, look, we are the body. No matter where you come from, you can be Gentile, you can be Jew, you can be whatever. We are one. If you have said yes to Christ, we are one. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Now, you means everyone. Live a life worthy of the calling you have received. And then he gets a little practical. What is this? look like? What is this calling that we have received? What is this calling that the church has received? What's this calling that he is giving to this church in Ephesus, but also to us as the church? Because we are the church. What is this calling? He begins to get a little bit practical. And really, I think what he does here in these next 15 verses is really talk about what life in the church really should look like. What is life in the church all about? What, what, how should we be as, as the church? And here, I think really what he does is he gives us a great kind of running definition or maybe a running description of the church. What is the church supposed to be? And here's what we're going to go with this morning, then we'll unpack this. I think there's really three or four parts here. The church is a body of believers joined together under biblical leadership to grow in the likeness of Christ and to be expressions of the love of Christ to each other and to the world around us. I think that can be a, kind of our running definition this morning 
from, from chapter 4, 1 through 16. Let me just say this again, then we'll unpack piece by piece. Right, here we go. The church is a body of believers joined together under biblical leadership to grow in the likeness of Christ and to be expressions of the love of Christ to each other and the world around them. Let's, let's unpack that here. Now, we know that the church is not just simply a local thing. I mean, I just talked about Alabaster. The Church of the Nazarene has missionaries in 160 different countries, 160 plus countries around the world. We know that the church is a global thing. But Paul here is talking about a local church, talking about the, the local body of believers. And he's, he's talking about what life in this local body of believers really looks like. So let's, let's just break down this, this definition here, right? The church is a body of believers. That's that first part, the body of believers. He starts off by, by talking about our relationships with one another. Here's what he says. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. And he just reminds us once again that we are one. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. He begins to kind of talk about all the ways that we are one as believers, one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. And all of this is pretty amazing stuff when you stop to think about it. But most of this, Paul's already talked about, except for one of those things. One of those things is kind of a new thing. He has talked about how good God is. Remember in Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, talking about the gospel. He has talked about God. He has talked about our faith. He has talked about Jesus being Lord. He has not talked about baptism. Why, why is he now talking about baptism? I think this is very significant that he includes baptism in this list because it speaks to this new covenant that we are a part of as believers. Now remember, look backwards with me. Word of God series, all of the covenants that we saw in the Old Testament. Abram's covenant in Genesis 12 and Genesis 15. The covenant of Moses. We saw all of these different covenants and these covenants were typically designed for one specific people. They were designed for the Israelites, the people of God. And there was a sign for these covenants that if you were a part of these covenants, there was a sign. What was the sign for these covenants? It was circumcision. That was the sign for these covenants. In fact, Paul actually even alludes to this. If you go back with me to chapter 2, we didn't really talk about it much in chapter 2, but chapter 2, verse 11, says, Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, right? We're a part of this covenant and you are not. This is what he's talking about here, which is done in the body by human hands. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope, without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. See, now Jesus has come and now he has brought with him a new covenant. And the sign of this new covenant is no longer circumcision. He's even talking to the Gentiles like, look, these circumcised people, I know you're uncircumcised. They were trying to, they were excluding. You were excluded because you're uncircumcised. Now there's another sign. There's another sign of a new covenant, and that sign is baptism. 
the sign of baptism, that we, are, we die in our sin and we are raised to life with Christ. This, sign, this new sign of the covenant is baptism. Yeah, baptism is the identifying marker of those who have said yes to Jesus and are a part of his body. This is a sign. Now, again, this, is, this has nothing to do with salvation. You don't have to be baptized to be saved, but it is a sign of your salvation. To say publicly, like, look, I, I am dying with Christ, and I, I have died with Christ. I have been raised back to life with him. I have given my life to him. We belong to Jesus. Now, again, baptism is not essential for salvation. You can be saved and not baptized, but it is a declaration of your salvation. And I'll also just say this. If you have not been baptized, I would love to talk to you about that. Again, not, not essential for your salvation, but I would love to talk to you about baptism. But we'll hear what Paul is saying here. He reiterates that we are one body. We have one Lord, one faith, one hope, one God and Father of all, one baptism. I know those weren't in order, but we are one. We are one body. The church is a body of believers, and we are one. Remember, this goes back all the way to chapter one. Christ is the head of the church, which is his body. We are a body of believers. What's about the second part? We are a body of believers joined together under biblical leadership. Right? We are a body of believers joined together under biblical leadership. In, in 4.7, Paul talks about kind of the gifts that he has given to each of us. We don't have really time enough to, to unpack all that he says here in this section. Uh, I would love to, to talk through that with you if you're curious about that. We're not going to do that today. But then he begins in verse 11 talking about how he gives the leaders of the church. Right? Verse 11, he says this, uh, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. I, I, now, what is it that unites all of these people that Paul is talking about here? The pastors teachers, the prophets, the evangelists. What unites all of those people is that we have a responsibility to proclaim and teach the gospel. That's what unites everybody that Paul is talking about here. We have a responsibility to proclaim and teach the, the word of God. It puts the word of God at the center of the church. Uh, this is why we see in Galatians 1 and in 2 Timothy 4 that if a, if a leader is not declaring the teaching of the word of God, that they need to be removed, right? The leadership of the church depends on the word of God. This is what Paul is saying here. You know what? This, this is the way that God has designed it. And here's the thing. I have nothing to bring to this church of significance other than the word of God. I want you to know that. The word of God is, is central to what we do here. And that is the way that God has designed it. So when amazing things happen at this church, no one can say, man, look at the innovation of that pastor. Look at the leadership of that pastor. I got news for you this morning. If we are dependent at this church on my innovation, we're done for. <laughs> right? But if we are dependent on the word of God, then God, I know God is going to do some amazing things through us. In fact, as we said before, this, this, in this series, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead 
is, is in this word. It's in each of us. And so I want you to know that this morning, that we are a, a body of believers who are joined together under biblical leadership. The pastors, the apostles, the teachers, the, the evangelists. We are a body of believers who are joined together under this leadership. The question is, why? Why are we joined together under this leadership? Well, to grow in the likeness of Christ. That's the third thing, right? We are a body of believers joined together under biblical leadership to grow in the likeness of Christ. That's kind of part three of our definition this morning. Paul keeps going here in, in verse 12 and 13. After 11, it says, oh, I'll just start at 11 again. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. I think really in this, there are two goals. We are a body of believers under biblical leadership, and I think as we grow in likeness of Christ, there are really two goals that fall underneath this, the first of which is that we would have unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God. Many of you have been reading the book Until Unity with me. (laughs) I think it is such a God thing that today, the day that we are going to talk about that book tonight is this passage. <laughs> because this passage is really what drove that book, right, that we would all reach unity. I, I think it's, it's pretty amazing, but here's the picture. Together, we want to know Christ. Together, we want to know Christ, and you cannot fully know Christ if you are disconnected from the church that Christ loved so much. I really, truly believe that. We live in such an individualistic society that's gonna say, I'm gonna run after Christ, but I don't need the church. I'm gonna run after Christ, but I don't need the church. I'll just do it alone. You know, this was actually my biggest fear during the pandemic, was that our culture is such an individualistic, consumeristic kind of culture. What is in it for me? Entertain me, right? That was my whole fear, is that we, had, we moved the church to a place where they could go to church and be the church on a couch. And it's what we had to do. I don't regret anything that we did. I don't regret going online. I don't regret staying online past some other churches. I don't regret any of it. But here's been my fear the whole time and why we actually cut off our online service, is because we are training right now a whole culture of individualistic, consumeristic people, that they can be a part of a church without ever stepping foot in the church and without ever being involved with anybody else in the church, without ever even knowing the name of anybody else in the church, and they can be the church. I have major issues with this. (laughs) Theologically, biblically, there are huge issues with this. We need each other. And not just for the relationships that we hold together, but because apart from the church, we miss what Christ was all about. Christ loved the church. Christ loves the church, present tense. If we're not a part of the church, then we are missing out. Paul also here talks about becoming mature. And this is on the kind of the same wavelength as his last piece. But we want to grow more and more into the likeness of Christ. And Paul says that that happens, that we grow into the likeness of Christ as we embrace 
being a part of the body of Christ. That we mature as we are apart. He goes on to talk about how we really do need each other and why we really need each other, why we need the church. Why we need the body of believers? Because if you read verse 14 through 16, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined together and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. There will always be threats to the gospel. There will always be counter-gospels that are around and out. It is the church's responsibility to go out and to, to pull back the people who have let these counter-gospels infiltrate their lives. We guard the gospel as a church. And together, as we guard the gospel, as we, as we try and live the gospel and gain maturity in Christ, we have a responsibility to pull back the people who are, who are leaving for another way. All right, we need each other. Without the church, I can, if I'm just going out to do it by myself, I'm going to fall into the trap of these, these teachings, every wind of teaching by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheme. I'm going to fall into those traps every single time. But as a church, together, the body of Christ, encouraging each other, loving each other, coming alongside one another, praying for each other, reading scripture together, I, I stay in. I stay kind of hooked into the church. I stay hooked into the vine. I stay, stay here. I, we need each other. As a body of believers, this is what the church, church is a body of believers joined together under biblical leadership to grow in the likeness of Christ. And the fourth thing, to be expressions of the love of Christ to each other and the world around us. Love is all over this passage. Verse 2, verse 15, verse 16, it's there. Love is, is so huge. It echoes John 13, 34, 35. Jesus says, that you, you, people will know that you're my disciples by the way that you love each other. Right? Paul here is saying you need to love each other. Love is the distinguishing mark of the church. Right? Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. In verse 15 it said, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, verse 16, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love, as each part does its work. Love is the distinguishing mark of the church. We are a people who love each other and love the world around us. I think that might be the most important part of this whole passage, right? that love is a distinguishing mark of the church. We don't embrace the church simply to, to grow as an individual. We do so so we can show the love of God both to others around us in the church and outside the church. All right, so, so the body of Christ, the, the church. What is the church, Paul? Paul says the church is a body of believers joined together under biblical leadership to grow in the likeness of Christ and to be expressions of the love of Christ to each other and the world around us. So the next question is why? 
Why, Paul? Why, why does the church need to be the church? Why does the church even need to be a thing? Does this still apply to us? Do we still need the church? Was this just a letter to this one church that they need each other, but now we can kind of do our own thing? Simple answer is no. <laughs> Simple answer is no. We, this applies to us as well. The longer answer is why. I think really there's three reasons why. First of all, why we, three reasons why really we commit ourselves to a local church. Here's the first reason. We commit ourselves to a local church, first of all, for the good of ourselves. If we do not commit to a local church, we will starve spiritually. The New Testament knows nothing of Christianity disconnected from the church. I want you to see that. There is nowhere in scripture where you will see Christianity disconnected from the church. The church is essential. We do it for ourselves. Some might say, well, I've had some experiences in local church where, you know, flourishing in Christ is not exactly what I would call that. <laughs> well, that's probably true. I know that's true. Everybody has bad experiences in some churches. Churches aren't perfect. They say if you find a perfect church, you should leave because you'll ruin it. <laughs> There's no church that's a perfect church. There's going to be some pain. Everybody brings with them some baggage. But here's the thing. It is through the church that we can grow together. Right, we, we, we commit ourselves to a local church for the good, first of all, of ourselves, but we join also for others. We commit ourselves for the good of other Christians. You need other believers, and other believers need you. This is the good part of the church, is that we, we have each other. We really do need each other. I think more than anything, that pandemic revealed that to us. We really do need the church. I remember receiving phone calls from many of you just saying, I, I, I miss the church. I miss being together. And yeah, it was good to worship together online when we had to, but man, it is good to be together. And I know that there are many who are not here this morning due to the pandemic, and that's okay. But we are a body of believers, and we really do need each other, and we commit ourselves to the church for the good of other Christians. We need each other to encourage one another, to spur each other on. I just want you to maybe even think this week and read this week as you're reading Scripture. Just, just try and notice all of the one another passages that are in the New Testament. There are so many one another passages in the New Testament. Encourage one another. Pray for one another. All of these different passages of how we are supposed to treat each other. We really do need each other. I want you to stop this week and just see that that's us. That we as a church are here to encourage one another, to, to be with one another, to pray for one another, to spur one another on. We need each other. So we commit ourselves to the local church for the good of ourselves, for the good of other believers. But we also commit ourselves to the church for the good of non-Christians. For the good of non-Christians. God's design is for the church, is to take the church and create a loving community where people are, are loving each other, sacrificing for each other, putting each other's needs above our own, laying down our lives to see needs met and into the world, just saying to the world, like, this is the God that we serve. Now, you read the book of Acts. The book of Acts is a story of the church being the church. And what happens is you have people that see the church be the church and they say, I want that. I want that. I want what they have. 
I just read chapter five of Acts and you see this. You see the church being the church and people just saying like, that's, I want a piece of that. That's what I want in my life. Here's, here's what I want you to think about. Think about church in Acts. People seeing the church in Acts and saying, I want that. Now I want you to see church in America in 2021. What do people think? Right now, it's not, I want that. How do we need to change? How do we change that perspective? How do we, how do we change that? Because as we, if we would just be the church, <laughs> if we would just love each other, and if we would care about each other more than we care about ourselves, if we would just honestly commit to the church as a family, if we would just commit to each other and gravitate toward each other, man, people would look at the church, not just this church, but the church, and say, that's what I want. Give me a piece of that. That's what I need in my life. That's what I want in my life. I want those kind of relationships. I want that kind of love. I want the Jesus that they say they have. We commit ourselves to local church for ourselves, for other believers, but mostly for the good of non-Christians. And when the church is the church, the world notices and wants to be a part. And that is what this is all about. That's what it's all about. So Paul, in Ephesians chapter 4 here, kind of goes from what do we believe about the church? How we believe that we are one. That no matter where you come from, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, if you've said yes to Christ, you are a part of the kingdom of God. You are a part of the family of God. You've been adopted in. You've been grafted into his family. Now in chapter 4, what does that look like? We need to be one. We need to be one so that we might reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of God. I mean, verse 15 and 16, it said, Speaking the truth in love, we will become, grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, Christ. From him the whole body joined together and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. This is what the church should look like, according to Paul. I'm excited to keep moving. Next week we'll go, probably we'll finish chapter four next week. Um, But I'm looking forward to it. I hope you've enjoyed the series as much as I have. But let me say a quick word of prayer for us. God, we love you. We're grateful for you. And God, I I just pray this morning that as we have read your word, as we have studied your word, that as we have seen you speak through your word, through Paul, God, I just pray that you would just light a fire in all of us. God, that we would be the church that you are calling us to be. God, that we would, we would be the body of believers joined together under biblical leadership to grow in the likeness of Christ and to be expressions of your love wherever we may find ourselves. God, my prayer this week is that the church would be the church. My prayer this week is that we would, we would have sort of a renewed commitment to the church. Not to this building, because the church is not a building, because we are not consumers, but to the church, the body of believers, that we would commit ourselves to each other, to encourage each other, to pray for one another and with one another to spur each other on. Not all those one another's in scripture, would you just 
Just remind us of those this week in our prayer and in our reading. Would you just show us these one another passages that we need to be for each other? God, would you go ahead of us this week as well? Would you, would you keep us safe? Would you give us the, the courage to go forward and to be a light for you wherever we may find ourselves, God? We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Would you stand with me this morning? And as you do, just, uh, just raise your hands out. Just receive this blessing from God. May our God, God of grace and truth and mercy, may he go ahead of you and with you this week. May he just remind you of his love for the church. <laughs> and may his love reflect your love for the church, the body of believers. You might be committed to that for the sake, not only of yourself, but of other believers and of non-Christians as well. And may that commitment to the church, commitment to the body of Christ, encourage you to make a difference wherever you may find yourself this week. Go in grace, go in peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for coming this morning.